this week's episode of Juice in the Big Screen, your movies review and discussion podcast, and we're back at it. We, we, this is feels I'm not really sure because I don't remember the dates when we post these things, but it feels like we're pretty much back to once a week. So so shout outs to us. Pat big pat on the back to Corn and Josh over here. We're getting their shit back together. Um and we are not getting our shit back together. I lied to Josh. I watched both of these movies today. Both? Yeah. I watched Wait, one network. You fucking liar. <laughs> Three days ago you said I only watched one. You fucking liar <laughs> oh god and then yesterday you sent me a video of you watching a show or some shit and i was like that's not the movie we have to watch and you're like yeah i know and i was like oh all right he already watched it and you watched both of them today you piece of shit yeah. you reminded me at like eight o'clock last night and i was like i do not have time to watch a two hour two and a half hour movie right now i have to just do both tomorrow uh, the truth well, must be set free i just feel bad doing so <laughs> Yeah, what what a what a revolutionary you are. Um, anyway, we're recording this. It's February eleventh, twenty twenty two, which means that the Oscar nominations are out. Um, they were dropped Monday, Sunday night. Who fucking cares? Doesn't really matter. Um, and that means that we can now refine our list and start watching stuff that is actually nominated for the Oscars instead of just kind of guessing. A lot of it is pretty much what was expected. There were a few changeouts, for instance, Nightmare Alley, which got, I, I don't think any nominations at the Globes, uh, makes an appearance in, in the Oscar nominations for Best Picture of, of all things. So really making a splash for itself. Uh, in addition, the acting nominations, which because there's so many with the Globes, refined in a really interesting way. We're not going to go over all of the nominations just yet because there's a lot of things that, I mean, we just haven't watched yet, which makes talking about the nominations in full a little bit silly. But the one thing that Cor and I were, were kind of joking about at the beginning, but right, right before we started recording, was the fact that amongst the acting nominations is an Oscar nomination for J.K. Simmons for Being the Ricardos. Now, Being the Ricardos was a movie neither Corwin nor I enjoyed. Uh, and was directed and written by Aaron Sorkin. And so if you were to tell me that this movie was nominated for three Oscars, I would guess, I would have guessed that two of them would be, would have been for best directing and best screenplay for Aaron Sorkin, because it feels like no matter how bad his movies are, his name gets thrown up on that, on, on that board anyway. Literally last year. <laughs> yeah. Literally last year. And lo and behold, this movie got three Oscar nominations and he got none of them. They are all acting nominations. Nicole am, Kidman for being the... Am, for, sorry, go ahead. I am almost okay with all of these nominations for this film that I actively didn't really like all that much. I, I thought it was okay. I thought it was fine, but I don't remember hating it. Or I remember not liking it and willing to watch it again. Because I think it's an overcompensation for... Aaron Sorkin always getting nominations and just the Academy actively saying, you know what? You've had enough Sorkin. You've put enough trash through this committee. You're done. We're cutting you off. And I'm happy about that. You know what? I, I don't think that's it. You know what? I really think it is. And obviously we still have a few more movies to go before we can verify this with it, with any real confidence. I think this is just a super fucking weak year. Like we always talk about, we talked for the last year about how it was kind of a weak year and Corwin was a little bit more strong on last year being a weak year than I was, but man, this year is a weak fucking year. 
like I think that the fact that J.K. Simmons is nominated here is just out of desperation. They were like, we need a fifth guy. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, I feel like there are better options here. Like, even with the very limited number of films that I've seen, I feel like I would have taken a multitude of people from Dune over J.K. Simmons. Um, I don't know. I, I don't want to dig into it and just hey, pull random people. I will never memory. argue about Oscar Isaac finally getting some recognition if, if they yeah. want, the Academy wanted to throw an, uh, a nomination his way. Man is a national fucking treasure. Love that dude. I feel like like he's just so equally really good in everything. Like he has such a stable performance that nothing ever blows the Academy away. So they're never like, Oh wow. Actually Oscar Isaac was phenomenal. I also argued that there is a, there should have been a best supporting actor nomination in one of the movies we're about to talk about. Shall we, shall we get into the movies for this week? Sure. I'm trying to think. So where would you like to start? Would you like to start with uh, King Richard or Coda? I I want to start with Coda. Did you watch it most recently? I finished about an hour and a half ago. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. All right. So Coda uh, was written was the screenplay was adapted. I guess I should say by uh, Cyan Header. It was also directed by by Cyan Header. It is based off of a, a different film called La Famille Berrier, Berrier. I'm, I'm, I'm not whatever language that is, it's Spanish, uh, it was, which was written by Victoria Bedos and Stanislas Carré de Malberg. Um, no fucking clue. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, um, so written and directed by Cyan Header, it stars Amelia Jones, who... Uh, I took me forever to realize where I knew her from. But if you've ever seen um, fucking. Ah, uh, fuck. I, it doesn't matter. Whatever. I forget what I knew her for. It doesn't matter now. Uh, Mar- right. <laughs> Marley Mat- Matlin and <laughs> Troy Kotzer. Fuck me. I'm having a horrible start to this shit. Whatever. Now, once again, this is this is an Apple TV plus production they bought it right out of the festival circuit so uh, i have a budget of 10 million dollars that in of itself seems a little bit suspect but it seems more real than some of the budgets we've seen recently the box office only shows 1.1 million dollars which again it's like we're never going to know so but i'm i'm sure that if they can even show 1 million dollars on a 10 million dollar budget this movie was probably very successful um that'd be my my guess Oh, we have a tagline. The tagline is every family has its own language. Okay. Neat. Um, my family speaks English. Um, we only speak English. This film was nominated for three Oscars. I'm just plowing right through that. It was nominated <laughs> for best motion picture of the year for Philip Rousselet, uh, Fabrice Jean Fermi, and Patrick Waxberger. Uh, it was nominated for Best Performance by an Actor in a Supporting Role for Troy Kotzer. And it was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay for Cyan Header. 
Sian. I'm never going to know if I pronounce this man, this woman's name correctly. So sorry, Cyan. I'm just going to keep saying it like that fucking shade of blue. This was my movie. Uh, so I will get a start. Oh, wait, hold on. Uh, last note. The, the movie is about. Uh, as a coda child of deaf adults, Ruby is the only hearing person in her deaf family. When the family's fishing business is threatened, Ruby finds herself torn between pursuing her love of music by wanting to go to Berkeley College of Music and her fear of abandoning her parents. So this was my movie. I'll start. Uh, I hated this. I really, really, really did not enjoy this. Um, this felt like watching a Disney Channel original movie that had more of a budget. Thank you. That was the first fucking thing I thought of was like, this is straight out of the Disney Channel. Yeah. This is ridiculous. And you might think I'm exaggerating if you're those listening at home that haven't seen the movie. I am not. This is straight up a Disney Channel original because it's not even Hallmark. Because Hallmark leaves a lot of like, because it's that coming of age kind of piece to it. Like Hallmark, I'm not trying to de- defend it all, but when, when you watch like one of their Christmas movies, it, it, yeah, it's predictable, but there's a loving touch that lacks some of the cringiness of also trying to shoehorn in the coming of age piece. And this movie when, is all cringe. When you watch a Hallmark movie, you know you're getting a Hallmark movie. This is nominated for what? Best picture? Best picture of the year. When I go to, you know, a Ruth's Chris Steakhouse and they serve me McDonald's, I'm disgusted. When I go to McDonald's expecting McDonald's, I can fully accept what I'm about that. I am disgusted. <laughs> um, yeah, this and not only and we're, we know we're going to get into it as, as we go on. But the also the infuriating thing I experienced I had while watching this. Aside from the, the, the A story, which has a, a myriad of its own issues, but really, the, this movie should have only been about the deaf family. Yes. This movie should have absolutely not had the A plot. The B plot to this movie is actually a good movie. The sequel to this movie is actually a really interesting and well done movie, but the A plot comes in to fuck it in the ass. The only part of this movie that I even remotely enjoyed is when they showed the perspective of the family and cutting all audio whatsoever. And they used it for a grand total of a minute, a minute and a half. Maybe. Like, we got this with the sound of metal last year and we saw an amazing production and how to represent what it's like to live in this world. This could have expanded on that and done so genuinely fairly well through nothing more than editing. They didn't have to like, it's not like they have to go reshoot the movie to expand on, you know, something that's already been shown. It's like when, you know, Disney and Pixar both come out with essentially the same movie, like a bug's life and the ant movie, or, you know, another one of the uh, dozen cars and planes that we have. Yeah. Like shit like that, where one is excellent and the other is cars. fucking dog shit that you planes. don't remember other than being like, Oh, the other animated bug adventure movie. Yeah. Right. Okay. This is so clearly that. 
and the fact that they're trying to shoehorn in a best picture nominee just feels dirty and you know it's also because what the what what sound of metal did really well is it gave you a perspective you're not really accustomed to and it gave you this and we talked about this when we talked about the movie last year it gave you an order of operations that you also weren't really expecting you know um Oh, I fucking forget his name. God damn it. Remember the lead actor's Ahmed. name? Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. Riz Ahmed. Riz Ahmed, yeah. like, starts the movie. He loses his hearing within the first 30 minutes. And then the rest of the movie is dealing with that, which is really interesting. This movie doesn't even try to, to do that. This movie, this is not even the best high school musical deaf family member movie I've seen. Because Mr. Holland's opus did this 10,000 times better 30 years ago. It's a great movie with Richard Dreyfuss where he's a music teacher at a high school and his son's deaf and he has to like learn how to handle having a deaf son as a person who loves music. And it's way better than this. Oh, that is so much better than this. That's potentially copyright infringement. Okay, I see. And that, and you know, that kind of goes part and parcel with what I was my the complaint I had just lodged earlier, which is the B movie being better than this, because also the A movie didn't need to exist in any way, but also having it be hearing versus uh, muteness or deafness, we've we've advanced well beyond that. I don't need this, the stark contrast of a remarkably hearing specific medium to understand that deaf people are left out of certain activities or certain circles in society. That is actually shown way better by the, the fish market story that's happening instead. That is actually a sect of deaf life that we don't really get to see. Because guess what, fuckface? I know deaf people can't hear music. I fucking know. <laughs> you know how I know that? Because music happens with your ears and deaf people's ears don't work too good. But I had I, I would never think that it would interfere or would never like on my own just assume that it could interfere with something like the day-to-day life of a fucking fisherman. That's actually an interesting story. Like, oh, can you fish while being deaf? Yeah, okay. I mean, you don't need to listen to fish to, you know, catch them. You can drive a car or or use a boat. Yeah, sure. I don't see anything. Why not? Oh, being able to hear distress signals from the Coast Guard, not being alerted to, you know, them needing information from you. Oh, that's never something that I would ever think of off the top of my head. That makes complete sense for why you cannot perform that job. Not being able to hear the engine to know that there's a problem with the engine. And even the scene where they show them in silence at a performance of their kids, it's like, oh, you know, they have no way of knowing what's going on on top of not even having any context for what they should be expecting. That's something I didn't really ever think of. It's like, oh, you know, someone's deaf. Oh, they can't hear the music. That's too bad. But they just have to sit there and talk about their shirts. That was really interesting for a minute. I I know. And that's really this whole movie. This whole movie is a bunch of 
random things that kind of happen that maybe would have been more interesting ideas and that it just kind of lets go. And it moves in a direction that you know it's going in the whole time. And I read some reviews of this because when I saw it was got the best picture nomination, I was thrown for a fucking loop. So I read some reviews, see what other people thought. And it, and it really boils down to like everyone who <laughs> reviewed this movie positively was like, yeah, you know where it's going, but it's just such a good ride to get there. I'm like, no, no, it is not. No, you know, it's not a good ride. Watching a, a, a virgin white girl trying to sing Let's Get It On by Marvin Gaye in a room of her peers. That was so fucking weird. Or having her explain to a doctor the intricacies of her parents' uh, STDs. That was fun. Honestly, I I liked that part fine. That part was I, fine for me. If that was the tone of the rest of the movie, sure. I can get behind that, no problem. But that really wasn't. Because that's the thing. Like, Troy Kotzer... Genuinely does a Excellent. he deserved his nomination. He did a yes. very good job. And he made those role. yeah, and he made his scenes really work really well, which is again one of the reasons he should have been the lead actor to this movie. Mm-hmm. Because the way that he interacts is interacts with his kids, you know, with, with his wife, with, with the people who enter into his home or his life is really he has the arc in this movie. Like, I don't give a fuck about Ruby's arc in this movie. It is all about Troy Kotcher's character. He should have been the lead actor to this. Um, and so well, I would go ahead. I'm sorry, you, you go ahead. No, 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 no I'm, I'm good. Go ahead. Just I was going to bring it back towards Ruby while you mentioned it, but if yeah. you're still on the no, no, go, Troy ahead, Kotcher, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, she sucks just all the way around. Yes, I don't find her character redeeming whatsoever. Like nope. when the the uh, the dad and the brother, you know, get busted for being deaf and driving the boat. And, you know, she comes home and it's like, oh, what happened? And they blame her for not showing up for work. And she's like, how the fuck is it my fault? Fuck you guys for accusing me of that. It is absolutely your fault. You can't just not show up for work. And then when your duties do not get performed and something happens because you were not there to perform said duties, you can point the blame at them for not having someone to do those duties. That's what a job is. I get yeah, it. Like you're and, 17, 18, like you're young and don't understand consequences. But at the same time, fuck off. Those are not and, difficult consequences to see coming. And that scene was framed in a way where you, I think you're supposed to be sympathetic towards Ruby. And let me tell you, I was not because it's also not like her job was an overnight at like eight o'clock. And she mentioned to her parents at 9 a.m. Like I'm not coming to work at 8 p.m you have 11 hours to go find a guy. They wake up and get to the boat. They're at the boat at four o'clock in the morning. You're not calling up a replacement at four o'clock in the morning. And her dad says, you could have told us earlier and we would have tried to figure something out. And I don't remember what her response was, but it was tantamount to. Like. And, and that's that's the 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 thing about this whole fucking movie is that the communication in this family is god awful just to make the movie work. And not in the way you would expect for a movie about communicating with deaf people. Yeah. 
could, I mean, really, this family sucks. This family sucks. They're not like the mother straight up tells her daughter, I wish you were born deaf. And we were supposed uh, to feel comforted by that scene. If it and was, the mother I, says, that's then, not, I, that's not the least, that's not the worst no, no, scene. But then I the mother understand. follows it up. The mother follows it up by saying, I was just so afraid that if you had hearing, I'd be a bad mother. And guess what? You were. You were a bad mother the whole movie. Your daughter said, I want to sing. And you took it as a personal insult to your character. (sighs) Also, what was she doing day to day before they started the business? Um, waking up at 3 a.m., going fishing. No, no, the going mother. Going to school. No, oh, the mom? Mother. Yeah, nothing yeah. productive. Yeah. You know how they needed the- someone to be on the boat? She's deaf. Never mind. That wouldn't work. But still. Yeah. No, because what, what I'm saying is they're talking about how destitute their their money situation is. But they never show her having a job. So is she a housewife? And if so, it seems like there was a lot of duties that were derelict. Yeah, because that house was in shambles. And also, I mean, she didn't do the cooking. I'm not saying that the woman has to do the cooking. I'm saying the, stay, the stay-at-home parents right. should do the yeah. cooking. Uh, and also, get a job. And if you can't get a job because you're deaf, make that part of the movie. <laughs> Right, like, I, if part of the narrative was, oh, the struggles of finding work outside of, you know, a niche skill that you just happen to know at a very good level, if they're struggling to find a job, just tell us. I'll believe you. It's a, it would be a very relatable, or not relatable, but, like, you would be able to connect with the character struggles because... Oh my God, that must be insanely hard to have a job like that. Yeah, and to then some they, extent in a small, you know, Boston, Massachusetts town. And then they show her being a very competent, I guess, like manager type of per- person. But they, they they don't explain how she went through the the hiring process for the the hearing abled people <sighs> that are work for her. They don't show how she got that TV interview, like. That's what I mean, that that's what Corey and I are saying. Like, like, there's so many more interesting parts to this movie that they just don't care about like she seems like a very smart capable person like yeah she was the goddamn advisor to the president of the united states for two terms oh shut up <laughs> fuck you um oh, so that, it's funny because we've been going on this movie for like 15 minutes or so we have only talked about the b plot <laughs> so yeah. I guess let's talk about the A plot, which is also, Do might we? I add, ridiculous. Um, and essentially, it is that this girl, uh, Ruby, decides spur of the moment while signing up for extracurriculars in person, like it's the 80s, uh, to sign up for choir. Which, uh, whatever, you know, I, I guess it's show choir. That's an audition process, but whatever. Who cares? And she then gets a wildly dramatic uh, music teacher, choir teacher, which, all right, fine. You know what? I, I've, I've seen those people exist. I, I, I don't like 
I don't like this person. And I think this is a little bit over the top. Again, feels very Disney Channel original movie, but whatever. And then, (laughs) and then her movie is essentially, I am a phenomenal singer, but I have to not be so shy all the time. And that is not a movie. I'm sorry. That's not a movie. Like she exhibits stage fright one time in the classroom. She exhibits nervousness one time when singing with her partner who fuck did that guy not need to be in the movie. Oh my God. That guy has a line, which I had to pause the movie to yell about because I was so mad at it where he's walking to Ruby's house with her and he's holding his guitar and he says to Ruby, my dad doesn't want me to play the guitar. He says it's a waste of time. I was furious about that line. (laughs) What parent doesn't want their kid to play an instrument? Well, did he say something like it's the weakest of all the string instruments? (laughs) Something like that. (laughs) Something insane. Um, my brain, my brain turned off every time he showed up. Also, yo, hold on. I know I'm going on another tangent. The fact that they went to their music teacher's house is so fucking creepy. Yeah, that was so real life. He, she, Ruby Rossi showed up alone. An underage teenage girl showed up by herself Mm -hmm. to her single adult male music teacher's house unaccompanied. Yeah. No. Multiple times. My significant other is a teacher um, with children that are not adults and she's not even allowed to contact them directly without supervision from another adult. Yeah. Let alone bring them into her home. Not to mention schools can be open on the weekends if you ask. Like Corwin and I both played sports in high school. The building was open on Saturdays. Mm-hmm. The building was open after school closed. Like it's not like they lock the fucking doors. There's yeah. after school choir practice. It's very normal. There was mm-hmm. no reason for them to be at his house. <laughs> uh, this is like a love child between uh high school musical and the sound of metal um and it 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 almost got uh miscarried it did get miscarried and this is what we're left with where it's the worst parts of both and then some other fuck you sprinkled in yeah yeah, and honestly, I really <laughs> hated the music choices in this movie. I thought the Joni the Mitchell worst. song was fine. Uh, I really, really, really hated that they they used um, uh, the the Marvin Gaye two the two Marvin Gaye songs two Marvin Gaye songs sung by white kids in this movie um, between fucking God damn it. Uh, Fuck. Uh, let's get it on. And then the Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell song of uh, You're All I Need to Get By, which I got to say, they did a horrible job. of. <laughs> I do not think that that girl did a good job of that song at all. 
it was painful to hear. By the way, that is the song that Marvin Gaye sang at Tammy Terrell's funeral. When she died at 24. And they're having it sung by a 17-year-old white chick. It was so fucking uncomfortable to look at. You know what the worst part about this movie is? Everything? Uh, I know my mother would love it. That's the fucking shit about it. Is like, there's a sect, uh, apparently very large, it's got nominated for fucking awards. There's a sect of people who think that this is a good movie. And it's disgusting to me. This is horrible. This is absolutely horrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't love that. I really don't. I just. Um, I don't know. Honestly, I'm glad there I is... don't have to watch it with my mother because I can argue that I will never watch it with her. But yeah, I, I don't like that. It still has a huge demographic and that's why it was nominated. Yeah, I uh, we got to move on because we, we've now spent a good 30 minutes on this. Uh, now there, there, And there's still so much more to talk about with this, both good and bad. I will say both good and bad, because once again, the B plot to this movie is very good. It is just crushed under the thumb of the A plot. Uh, but for the sake of moving on, let's give ratings and reviews. This is my movie, so I will start. Uh, and we can also talk about Oscar chances right afterwards. Um, I I don't know why you would watch this. I don't know why you would watch this. I don't know what's in it for you. The singing is not very good. or It's not very enjoyable because it, it's less than you would get out of a musical if you're looking for, for a, a musical type movie. And this just does not pull on the heartstrings really in the way that it, it should because it doesn't do a really great job of making you feel the emotional weight. Like her parents are deaf the whole time. Even the big emotional part where Troy Kotzer puts his hand on Ruby's throat while she's singing. So he can feel the vibrations. Shout out Mark Mark. Um, Honestly doesn't really land because they didn't really tie the threads of, of those two stories together in a way that I felt overly impactful. And so I, if you're looking for your emotional knife twisting, I don't even think this is fucking it. Uh, I'm, I'm going to give this like a one and a half. Um, boy, um, I, man, I just, I keep trying to think of scenes that I enjoy to try and mentally boost this score. Just like see if I can rationalize it to myself. And every time I do, other than the one scene of the family in the theater, it's just like, oh, that's cheesy. Like if there was like a really just hard to ignore over like uh, overture, I guess, just throughout the entire movie. I wouldn't be surprised. And it's so cheesy. I'll, I'll give it a 1.5. I'll agree with you. Oh, man. It's, it's, just, it's just not good. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's move on to the other movie then that we have to talk about. 
Uh, actually, sorry, real quick, uh, Corwin, this movie, would you would you award it any of its three nominations for Best Picture, uh, Supporting Actor, or Adapted Screenplay? Um, supporting Actor. I wouldn't strike Troy Kotzer off of the list, but I can... I would award it to him over J.K. Simmons being those are the only two nominations. I was going to say, yeah, so between far. the two of them. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that I think that's where I'm at, too. I wouldn't give this best picture or best screenplay because, boy, howdy, it doesn't deserve either one. I don't even care who wins the, in those categories as, as long as it is uh, not this movie. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I could definitely see Troy. Kyle. We had to watch Belfast and Power of the Dog to make out the other three nominations, but I, I, I still see him in the running for our purposes anyway. But all right, let's take this over to King Richard. Yeah. All right, King Richard was directed by Reynaldo Marcus Green. This was written by Zach Balin, and it stars Will Smith, Anjanu Ellis, and John Bernthal. Do we have an estimated budget on this bitch? Uh, $50 million is the estimate. Uh, cumulative worldwide gross of 32 but again this was a simultaneous uh, theaters and HBO Max release so the, the number is once again uh, meaningless drivel so ignore it the tagline is Venus Serena and a plan for greatness eh. yeah I mean sure Venus, a plan for greatness. Oh, and also Serena's there. Uh, this film is currently nominated for six Oscars. It is nominated for Best Picture of the Year for Tim White, Trevor White, and Will Smith. Best Performance by an Actor in a Leading Role for Will Smith. Best Performance by an Actress in a Supporting Role for Anjanou Ellis. Best Achievement in Editing for Pamela Martin. Best Original Screenplay by for uh, Zach Balin and best achievement in music written for motion pictures, original song for Beyonce and Dixon for the song be alive, which plays during the end credits of the film. Uh, Corwin, this was, Oh, sorry. The, the, this film is about a look at how tennis superstars, Venus and Serena Williams became who they are after the coaching from their father, Richard Williams. And uh, now Corwin, this was your pick. So you can get us started. Uh, I don't really know why, but this actually has, well, I'll just say, uh, I can't really watch a movie with Will Smith and see anyone but Will Smith. Um, but I will say I enjoyed the Will Smith movie with Venus and Serena Williams. I, I can't say I loved it. I've, <laughs> the bar has been set so low in 2022 that a movie that I didn't actively dislike is like, oh, that's actually a really good movie for this year. It's not, but just comparatively, it is. Um, I enjoyed the introspective look. I enjoyed the story. Um, and just, I, I didn't know anything about Venus and Serena Williams other than their sisters. Um, and while I enjoyed the story that was told to me, I don't know how much of my positive reaction is from this not being actively horrible. Um, Watching it at work, which I got to say, um, any movie is improved when you're avoiding active work. 
Um, and I honestly don't know where I'm going with this. So I'm just going to stop here. Uh, I actually did. I enjoyed this quite quite a bit. I got to say, I, I was a big fan of this movie and I was a big fan of what Will Smith did in this movie. I think he totally deserved his, this nomination. And this is the best acting I've seen out of him since Ali <laughs> in 2002. I got to look up his filmography just to see the last time I remember him being in a film and me going. I enjoyed Will Smith. I am a legend, maybe. No, because even even then, like he he's not doing the world over to really elevate the movie in the same way that I think he is here. Yeah. Uh, who Suicide Squad? Ha <laughs> No. Yeah, I'm oh, looking at his, at his film. It's fucking ugly. Weird. Holy shit. Uh, seven pounds. I didn't see it, but I've heard good. You know what? I enjoyed him in Hancock. He's fun in Hancock, but it, it's not an overly serious role. No, it's like Ryan Reynolds acting. It's just yes. him having fun and saying really enjoyable jokes, but I'm not fulfilled with any other emotion. I'm I'm glad to see Will Smith returning to a world of dramatic acting because he's so good at it. Like, I think you and I have talked about this just like as people, not on the show, but it's it's like um, like Sly Stallone hit a point in his career where he could have kept doing dramatic movies like Rambo One and Rocky One, or made those into uh, comic book like action movies like pre-Michael Bay action, explode them, shoot them up movies. And instead of choosing to continue doing dramatic movies where he was genuinely rather mm-hmm. good, he became a goofy-ass action star. And it feels like that's kind of what, to an extent, what, what Will Smith had done for the past few years of his career because he did like Gemini Man and Suicide Squad and Bright, and he did another Bad Boys movie nobody asked for, and After Earth, and like a bunch of shit action flicks. And so to see him come back and do a way quieter movie with some real character acting, I I I thought he fucking nailed it. I, I haven't seen Will Smith get lost in a role like this. I mean, maybe ever. Because even when he did Ali, which he was so good in, there were still a few moments where I just like couldn't get over the fact I was watching Will Smith, which may be more of a me thing than a him thing in that movie. This movie, like there'd be times when, because I had to watch this during my work day, so I, I glanced away every now and then. There'd be times I kind of forgot it was Will Smith. I thought he really did a great job with this. Also, shout out to Anjanou Harris, who anytime she was on screen, stole the fucking show. She was great. Sylvester Stallone was in Mandingo. And that's what I have to say about that. Um, I didn't know that was a movie. <laughs> it kind of jumped off the page when I saw it. Yeah, how could it not? <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, fun little uh, fun fact that I had no idea uh, was the case. Uh, there were three Rocky films before Rambo came out. 
Really? It was that late into the Rocky series? First, first Blood came out post-Rocky three in 1982. Damn. All which, right. Which, well, is, which is the Rocky where Apollo dies? Is that two? No, that's four? He dies in four? He dies in four. Yeah, because Apollo, he fights Apollo in, in two again. And then in Rocky three, he goes up against Mike Tyson and Apollo helps train him. That's where there's that, that, that meme of like the black hand and the white hand that's Apollo and Rocky. And then Rocky four, Apollo goes to fight Ivan Drago and Drago kills Apollo. And then that's the movie. Then it's Rocky having to fight Drago to get vengeance, to avenge the death of Apollo. I've never seen any of them, so they are all very fun. Oh, that's actually something I meant to mention. When we were watching Coda because that's one. That's the one thing that even the bad Rocky movies are really good for. Great montages. Gotta love a good montage. Mm. And eighties action flicks, particularly starring Sylvester Stallone, were great for a good montage. Coda, no montages. Should have had better montages. But anyway, it doesn't matter. We're past that movie. So for, for this, I also think that this is a really, I know, <laughs> Sorry, right? Before we move on, you know how we were talking about Bugs Life and Ants? <laughs> Fuck you, Sylvester right, Stallone. What? Sylvester Stallone uh, was one of the lead roles in Ants. That's fucking amazing. I do not remember that at all. Oh, my God. Wow. That is, that is perfect. All right. Anyway. I also think that this was a really great approach to telling this story by not having, because it feels like a lot of times when we see, uh, whether it's a child prodigy movie kind of in general, whatever that it's about, music, sports, whatever, or if it's uh, a sports movie about someone getting really good or, or, or becoming famous or whatever, it it feels like, you know how it's going to go. You know, it, it's going to be that the, they, they weren't so good and then they got coaching and then they did a bunch of tournaments and then they got good. And then here's the last big game uh, and they won it or in Rocky's case, they lost it, which is which is fine. Um, but usually it's uh, hey, they won it. And the movie ends as confetti falls and blah, 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 blah. And this movie has some of that in it for sure. Mm-hmm. But really not nearly as much as I was expecting instead choosing to focus a lot on well, Richard Williams and what he wanted the path for his daughters to be. And I found it to be fascinating how little tennis there was in this movie. And yet how much I loved it as a sports movie. It's in all of these sports movies, like in Rocky, you have the montage that shows him learning boxing and understanding boxing and building up his skill and getting better. This is the entire movie. And it's so much more interesting than watching Venus Williams become the number one tennis player in the world and winning, you know, uh, Wimbledon five times. Like we know, like, A movie about someone so prestigious as the Serena and Venus Williams 
stories. Like I almost said the Serena sisters. That's why I kind of went off the rails there. The Williams sisters, you know, everything that happens, you know, how the movie ends. So that's not the interesting part. The interesting part is how do we get to this part where we can pick up from our own history of watching the sport and looking at the sport from the outside in. If you're not a tennis fan, you know who the Williams sisters are. You might know if you are a good, you know, a, a big fan of tennis, where they came from, all the little details of Richard teaching them and growing them and how he taught them and the focus he put on the entire experience of life and not just tennis. But you and I had no fucking idea. And that's what's so much more interesting because that's what we don't know. Yeah. And it's not just a rehashing of, oh, this is their careers. This is, you know, what happened. This is us retelling, oh, this is what happened in the hotel the night before of this big match between Venus and whoever. I don't care. This is significantly more interesting. And I think one of the reasons it is more interesting is that it, it lends, it leans on the, the laurels of the Williams sisters. It's like, we don't need to show you a bunch of scenes of them being really good at tennis. Cause guess what? You fucking idiot. The whole entire history of humanity knows that they are two of the greatest tennis players of all time. You know what I mean? So like, yeah, there are matches there are important matches that get shown in extended form. But really, I mean, there's not a lot of the montages. There's, there's not a lot of showing them getting good or th- there's not a lot of matches because, I mean, in the early goings, they didn't play a lot of matches. And part of that is because it's like, yeah, I know. I, like Moneyball has to show you or a movie like Moneyball has to show you a little bit of the team being good because even if you don't recall the 2001 Oakland A's as we all should. Um, the Part of the concept is like, here's a bunch of guys who maybe aren't great on their own, but we're going to make them great by deploying them in a certain way. And so part of, you know, seeing that progression to the team being very successful is seeing how they play. And this movie instead says, we know how good these girls are at tennis. You know how good these girls are at tennis. So we don't have to show you them playing a lot of tennis for you to kind of get it. And they're right. They don't need to. It's still very effective because we know who these people are. I wish I watched this one more recently today. I watched this. wish I watched this one when I got home so that I could remember it more fondly without Coda kind of ruining the taste yeah. in my mouth after Wrong watching order. King Richard. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong order, man. <laughs> uh, it's just like looking back on Coda, it's like, wow, everything is so negative and it's so freshly negative. And looking yeah. back on King Richard, it's like, wow, oh, I enjoyed all of these things. He's all like, wow, I, I guess I really like this a lot more than I thought I did because of how much my entire view of the world has been <laughs> And, you know, I, I think I love the way that they also framed um, Richard Williams' character, because I think it'd be very easy to paint him as being annoying or um, 
I don't know, dim witted to to the world or, or uh, you know, a, a, a acute to, to his environment. And instead, it paints him as very caring, oh, yes. very, very honest and forthright, oftentimes fucking correct and very loving, like, like, like uh, in, in very oh, yeah. endearing, I should say. Right. And I loved that because of. And you, you feel the frustration that people like John Bernthal, who plays um, the, the second tennis coach that, that the girls get, Rick, Rick Massey, um, who is the guy I, w- I would say I honestly would have given uh, best supporting actor nomination over J.K. Simmons because uh, I thought he did a phenomenal job as um, Rick Massey. Like you, you, you feel all of the frustrations that everybody else feels when they are trying to talk to uh, Richard Williams, mm-hmm. but they also, and this is a huge tribute to Will Smith's acting in this film. In addition to the screenwriting, you know he's right. <laughs> like you know he's right while he's doing it. Like every time a coach comes up to Richard Williams and says it's time for the girls to play more matches, they have to play more matches, and Richard Williams goes fuck you, my girls now how to speak four languages and are getting straight A's and that is going to be more important than tennis because they're already and they're already really good at tennis, so fuck you and it's like, I'm frustrated as a viewer of this film because man, I want to watch these girls play tennis, but also fuck it all to hell if he ain't right yeah, it's like oh wow, that, you know, tennis, tennis tennis, we need to get, like we need to reach the top, like that's how they get there like, of course they need to practice no, they, they need to have a well-rounded character and, and you know, see the world from the right way. Oh, yeah, no, that actually is 100% the correct answer. I feel bad for thinking otherwise for a moment. But, yeah, honestly, the more you talk about, like, you're totally right where Richard could have been, you know, Michael Jackson's father. He could have been Shia LaBeouf's father. He could have been the incredibly overbearing and controlling guy that you almost expect him to be because of how many other people grew up with parents like that and ended up with success anywhere close to that of the Williams sisters. And he is without a doubt never doing anything in his own mind that's not for the absolute benefit of his daughters as like all of his daughters, not just the two that are incredibly good at tennis. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there was ever a point where I disagreed with what he was doing once he kind of rationalized it other than kind of leaving his daughters at that random, you know, drugstore. (laughs) The middle of Compton. (laughs) Yeah. That one was kind of like, okay, yeah, no, that this is where we draw the line. We got it. Right. Right. Maybe, yeah. Josh, maybe I did enjoy Will Smith in this. I'm telling you, you might have I to rewatch it. I, did. I, think he, I think he did a really good job here. I we have to see all the movies, but I think right now I might be pulling for him for, for best lead actor because I thoroughly oh, but him versus Denzel course. feels so unfair. Whatever, we'll get there. Um, At least I know what Richard was saying. That is very true. <laughs> <laughs> and so a lot to talk about here too. One of the things I definitely wanted to touch on um, because it is baked into historical movies about black people in any context is the way that this film also interacts with the racism 
that would be directed at the Williams sisters. And it gets called out a few times, the either the concept of, of racism. There's not too much direct racist acts shown in the movie. There, there's a couple smaller things, more subtle things, but there's nothing big. Richard mentions his past in having to deal with the KKK. And there's mention of the unfair um, membership distribution uh, at uh, various country clubs, stuff, stuff like that. But I also think it's, it's one of the things that made this movie really great is that it didn't labor the belabor the point. And this is a tough mm-hmm. thing, I think, to really I'm, I'm, balance because you don't want to minimize something as important as racism in society, especially to figures that we, we know very well where the stories uh, and trials and tribulations of racism can be very easy to be like, look at this specific person that we all know and love. They went through it too. This is how it affected them in the following ways and make it a learning point. But at the same time, when you're watching movies about people who that was not their primary focus, focusing on it too much might end up actually detracting from the story. Like when you're telling the story of Jackie Robinson, like they did in the movie 42 with Chadwick Boseman, that movie spends a lot of time on the racism directed towards Jackie Robinson, which it should, because that is part and parcel the story of Jackie Robinson. He broke the color barrier in baseball. If this movie did the same thing, which again, it feels like every now and then there is some balancing that has to be done in historical tales or in uh, films about true to life figures in history, uh, you know, with dealing with the racism that they might have had, you can then lose some of I don't the the momentum of the film maybe or since this movie is generally supposed to be I think a feel good movie you might lose some of that and again this is me also trying to walk a bouncing act not shoving my entire foot in my mouth um, but I don't want to say that you shouldn't ever I, I think this movie did a really great job of saying here is the reality of part of their existence. And we are not going to belabor this at all by making it into a huge diatribe of the movie because it doesn't have to be. And we will move mm-hmm. forward. Mm-hmm. I think one of the, the small narratives that I think does a really great job of it is Richard's interaction with the gang members in Compton where they show it enough to you understand kind of the relationship and how it's changing, but it's not an overbearing, you wouldn't call it like a B plot. It's not an overbearingly large part of the film. If you were, you know, telling someone, Oh, what the movie's about, you probably wouldn't include it, Mm -hmm. but you see how through his, you know, determination in having the girls practice whilst living in Compton and not, you know, being in the community and still, I guess, standing up to the fact that what they're doing is viewed as a white sport, which by all means it's tennis. It is a country club sport through and through the relationship changes from 
we're going to beat you down for even showing up and being here to, oh, we got your back with anyone that comes in here and we're going to protect you because, hey, we see what you're doing. We see that it's has the ability to help the greater community around them and nothing more than helping those actively in the community. And I think it's just a little thing that touches on something that we all know exists. It's not something we haven't seen before, but it's, I don't know, it's enough to bring that into a film that, or bring enough of that world into a film that is not about that in a greater sense of the world. Right, and I think it's that all over the place. You know, like mm-hmm. like the scene where Richard Williams is talking to the um one of the people in the country club because they were trying to get him to bring the girls there or whatever. And Richard just farts at the table and is like, go fuck yourself, essentially. Like, oh, if- glad you guys took off your robes before I got here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, took to off your hoods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was uh-huh. great. And that's the thing. Like, that scene very succinctly informs, like, yeah, we know that um, country clubs throughout fucking today, I'm sure, have discriminatory racial membership policies, especially here in the early 90s when that stuff was only starting to change. Uh, and Richard Williams had to has clearly either had an experience with it or knows how this stuff goes and will not be tolerating it. And we will not be spending a lot of time on it in this movie because we just don't fucking need to. Yep. I will say to the scene that you referenced also brought one of my favorite lines of the movie, which is when Richard is is bringing um, Paul Cohen in to that tennis court and the gang members pull up and they're like holding Paul, Paul Cohen up and like, what the fuck you doing here? And Richard Williams goes, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. He's fine. He's just white, but he's fine. (laughs) (laughs) He's white, but he's okay. I was like, yeah, Richard. Uh, Will Smith was really funny in this. Yeah, he was great. He was so fucking affable. I'm so Damn. glad he's not playing so serious anymore. Like, seeing Will Smith's stoic face is not how I want to experience Will Smith. I grew up with him getting jiggy with it and throwing jazz around. Like, I right. I, I, <laughs> I, do not need... Like, I, he's, he's good. Like, again, Ali's a great movie. But like, I want him to be likable. I love it when Will Smith is likable because he's a fucking likable dude. Mm-hmm. I want Will Smith in Independence Day, not Will Smith in Gemini. Exactly, exactly. There, he's an action movie, or same thing with Men in Black. Will Smith and Men in Black, yeah. great. It's like oh, I want to be taken seriously in this business. It's like, well, well, here's the thing: you're a beloved film actor and singer. And are incredibly wealthy, well respected, and beloved. Why do you want to be a serious actor now? Like, wh- do you think we don't or don't take you seriously now because you're funny? Some people but, like uh, it, it. It's it's nice to like somebody in the movie. You know what I mean? Hey, Tom Hanks has been doing it for forty years, and guess yeah. what? I'm never gonna get sick of it. Yeah. Like it's amazing how Tom Hanks has so many different roles that he does so well, but they're all within a, a relatively tight spectrum. Yeah. 
Hey, it's Tom Hanks. Henry Fonda, same thing. Yeah. Henry Fonda has one movie where he's the bad guy, and he had to get talked into it. Oh, God, who else is like that? Um, Ralph Fiennes is always the bad guy, but... Uh, I don't know. That, yeah. That's way too big of a pool to just start pulling random specific people out of. Yeah. I, I also love the way that Richard Williams interacts with the competition aspect of it, which is he wants the girls to do well, of course. And, you know, he's rooting for them and they have very strict practice schedules and all that stuff. But he also has a, a much more calm demeanor around the competition, you know, which is everyone showed up and did their best. She did her best. You did your best. This is the reason that the girls are taken out of the car. And that might seem a little bit extreme to people, but he was treating his kids like kids because they were kids. And man, is that refreshing to see? Because, you know, in kids athletics there's a lot of pressure that parents put on them to win and it's a great disappointment when they don't win or it's the best thing in the world when they do win or focusing too much on the technical reasons that they lost or whatever instead of the reminder that a kids tournament is done by kids and something I really enjoyed he tended to get overbearing in practice where he wanted things done his way. And he had an idea. He had his plan on how they should be taught and how he needed to work certain aspects of the game, you know, into their game. But once it came time for competition, he stepped back and was only there for moral support. He was never yelling over the banister for, you know, open your stance or, you know, charge the net, anything like that. It was just, Hey, you got this. Go have fun. The biggest match ever. I'm going to go stand back in the tunnel and let you do your thing. I'm not going to be a part of the picture. It's not about me. Right. Yeah, he, he would really. And even that felt like I'm not going to make my presence. Put additional pressure on you is how that felt to me. Which again, it's just such a big thing to be able to do. Now, Richard obviously clashed a lot with uh, like John Bernthal's character, Rick, Rick, Rick Massey, and was difficult with a lot of the people around his kids. But again, it never felt unwarranted, which is what I think the, again, the, the, the screenwriting and, and Will Smith did so fucking well in this is like every single time you saw Richard Williams butting heads with somebody, it was like, yeah, you know what? He's right. Or he might be being difficult, but fuck, that's hilarious. Like when um when Will Smith or when when Richard Williams gives uh it goes to go like pick up the girls or something at the, the court and he pulls up in the golf cart and he was like, All right, Rick, you can take it, just have it back back in 45 minutes or some shit. That was fucking yeah. hilarious. It's like you can't be mad at that guy. That guy's fucking <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> and the response was just like, nah, just go ahead and take it. I mean, like, you, you clearly look good at it. Like, whatever. <laughs> You're, we're just going to let Richard be Richard. 
I loved it. Loved it so much. Um, I really don't have like a lot to say about it. Um, it, it was just I genuinely didn't, enjoyable. Yeah, I I mean I didn't really know much about Venus Williams, especially, which sounds ridiculous because she was the older one. But I feel like she was still a really big player when I was growing up. But I only really remember Serena. I, I don't know. Is Venus Williams? I'm gonna look it up now. I, I don't know. Is Venus Williams like officially retired? I think so. She's like 41. I looked her up a little bit earlier. Today. Yeah, she is 41. She kind of outside of playing doubles with Serena, her career just was significantly uh, weighted towards the beginning. Like the yeah. So there's an injuries in the, thing here in 2011, and she won a Grand Slam and own no in 2014. Made Wimbledon in 2016. I think that was when she beat Serena. So it looks like 2017, 2018 is pretty much when her. No, she made a Grand Slam last year. Wow, really? I have no recollection of this. No, I don't either. 90th Grand Slam appearance in 2021. Yeah, appearance. She didn't win. No, she didn't win it. No. Okay. But regardless, I feel like I, I've heard I so mean, much more about no. Serena because Serena's had the better career, and that's not me trying to put anything uh, against Venus here. But, I mean, Serena Williams is considered one of the greatest athletes of all time, let alone of tennis. So, you know, obviously, you end up hearing a lot more about her as time has gone on. Um, but I, I, I feel like I didn't know that much about Venus outside of, well, boy, how do she go to tennis? Which again, is really all you need to know. But it's so interesting to see, especially the way that athletes or really any child star or, or younger person success story interacts with their parents, which is something we talked about with, with Honey Boy, or as Corbin said, really just hearing anything about Michael Jordan and his dad, because those interactions really shape the athlete that they end up becoming or, or the entertainer, the person. And to, to see them from people that we recognize, well, at least in a, a surface level environment really is so interesting. And I think this movie did such a, a really great job of conveying the environment that, that these girls were brought, were brought up in uh, how they achieve their success and doing so without having to lean too hard on cool, nifty tennis shot. Because honestly, the scenes with tennis in this movie are particularly impressively shot. But I also didn't give a shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I agree with that. Like, I at no point was the tennis something where I was watching a rally go back and forth and worried about you know venus being able to to score and win it like a, there's not a the lot of tennis extra was dramatics in there yeah. yeah the tennis was just uh an accessory almost right yeah uh yeah. i guess we'll we'll wrap things up on this one uh corwin this was your movie give me a give me a rating and review here uh, it turns out Will Smith is a, a very talented actor, and uh, this is a palate cleanser for Coda. 
not the other way around. Um, and it's honestly for non-tennis fans, an excellent movie. Really enjoyable to watch. Um, I'll give it a four. Yeah, I will I will say who I am as a person prevents me usually from giving feel-good movies a perfect rating. Um, and I don't know what that is about me. Maybe I, I need more darkness in a film to really connect with it on that next level. But I think four is right there with it. It feels better than that. Uh, but I think that might just be because, again, how God awful of a year this has been for uh, prestige cinema. So I think if we're comparing it to the crowd of films we've watched for this year's Oscar cycle, it would be higher than a four. <laughs> Uh, but for me, yeah, I think four is right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Agreed. All right. Well, let's, uh, I guess let's go into next week's picks. We're still churning through the Oscar nominees. We've got a lot of the middle of the pack award getters uh, run out. So we're still just chipping away here. The awards themselves won't take place until uh nope Uh, i I had that tab up i promise uh i think it's march 27th is the date i'm gonna say is right march 27th um so we have plenty of time but anyway corwin yes uh i believe my pick was tick tick boom all right tick tick boom which can be found on netflix I am going to go with one of the few movies I actually have really wanted to watch. uh, And I'm going to go with licorice pizza. Okay. Does not sound like an appetizing dinner, but I look forward to the movie. All the same. Yeah. Okay, great. So that is tick, tick, boom, which is currently nominated for uh, best lead actor for Andrew Garfield and Best Film Editing and uh, Licorice Pizza which is nominated for Best Picture Best Director uh, and uh, Best Original Screenplay so those will be uh, things to look out for as you watch the movies for next year keep an eye out for those things anyway alright well uh, if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at Pixie Juice. If you like to follow Corwin on Twitter, you can do so at Corwin Heller. If you like to follow myself on Twitter, you can do so at Joshua D. Tracy. If you'd like to send emails to the show, you can do so at juicingthebigscreen at gmail.com. And until next week, I think y'all have a good one. Bye.